Okay, we can go ahead and get started while we get the slides back up. So we talked about building a culture of life and building a civilization of love, which requires people to be saints. And we're all called to be saints no matter what our uh, committed state of life is. I titled this talk, What Love Demands, which is actually kind of spiritually where I'm at right now. Praying about my vocation and, and asking you know, the Lord how he wants to use me in the church and in the world based on my gifts, um, navigating my weaknesses and those types of things. And really the last several months I've been reflecting on this one line from the Litany of Trust. Does, has anyone ever prayed the Litany of Trust? Very beautiful. It's from the Sisters of Life. Um, actually, there's people from New York here, right? The Sisters of Life in New York. Um, and the first half of the litany is uh, a bunch of things like asking Jesus to deliver you from them. And then the second half of the litany is saying, Jesus, I trust in you and all of these things. And the, the line that's been sticking out to me the most as I pray that litany is, from the fear of what love demands, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of what love demands, deliver me, Jesus. So that's kind of where I've been at in my prayer life. And so hopefully as I talk about this call to be saints, it's call to be a saint, and for all of us for the call to be saints, um, it's, it's really to focus on what is it that love demands? What is it that love demands? And I, I can't think of any two better people to talk about than um, Mary and Jesus. Whenever I talk about leadership, I like to really see like the highest leaders um, that, that have ever walked this earth. The two only perfect people that have ever walked this earth are um, Mary and Jesus. So the first person we're going to talk about is Mary. So does anyone know what this image is? Like what is going on in this image? Yeah. This is the Annunciation, all right? What's the Annunciation? Actually, today's Saturday, so it's one of the mysteries of today's rosary. What's the Annunciation? Anyone? Yeah. Yes, so she gives her what? What's that called? She her. What, what's the word? Fiat. Yeah. She gives her fiat, uh, the Magnificat. Okay, it's in Luke 1, which we're going to go to a couple of lines of it in a second. Alright, so in this image we see Angel Gabriel coming to Mary. She's all pregnant. Alright, we got the dove there going on, okay? The dove is the Holy Spirit, right? And I love this theology that I believe is from um, St. Maximilian Colby, who did who uh, founded the Immaculata, right? Marian militia in Poland. Saint uh, Maximilian Colby, great Marian saint. He had this image of uh, Our Lady when he was like super young. She offered him uh, two crowns. Do you want a red crown or a white crown? And he said, I want both. And that signified his martyrdom and his purity. He was a priest and he died in Auschwitz, okay? He calls Our Lady, all right, she's the Our Lady of the Immaculate Conception. But this beautiful theology of the Immaculate Conception is that she is the created Immaculate Conception, right? So she was conceived perfectly in her conception in the womb of St. Anne. She was perfect already in the womb, right? But the Holy Spirit is actually the uncreated Immaculate Conception, right? So when we think about the Trinity, it's, it's tricky, right? Because <laughs> it's so easy to be a heretic when we're talking about the Trinity. Um, there's so many complicated things about it, right? But here we go. Let's, let's try not to be a heretic right now. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the Trinity. We're all on that page, right? So the Father and the Son, their love for one another, that's what the Holy Spirit is. Yeah? So these are three different persons of the Trinity. But the Holy Spirit is kind of like in marriage, right? Marriage is the least inadequate 
way to uh, kind of visualize God. That means it's still a very inadequate image, but it's the least inadequate John Paul II talks about. So Father, Son, is, and the Holy Spirit is the uncreated immaculate conception. Mary is the created immaculate conception. And why does she take on the name immaculate conception? Because she is the spouse of the Holy Spirit. Just like a natural wife takes the name of her husband, Mary takes the name of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, are we there? So in her Magnificat, in her fiat, she's saying yes to what? Being the mother of God, which is a very important role in salvation history. In Jewish customs, like they knew what they were waiting for. They knew the scriptures and they knew they were waiting for like a bunch of young women who were basically waiting for someone to be this person. And she knew what was happening as whenever she was talking to Angel Gabriel about it. So I want to highlight a couple of lines in the Magnificat, which is from Luke 1. Luke is traditionally called the Marian Gospel. He writes about Mary a lot. The first line, My soul magnifies the Lord, the Mighty One has great, done great things for me, and holy is his name. Okay, so this is, these are words of praise and thanksgiving and grateful joy. This is a joyful psalm that she's, I think, referring to. She's actually repeating scriptures that she already knew. My soul magnifies the Lord. Sometimes it says, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord in different translations. The mighty has done great things for me, and holy is its name. In our fiats, when we say yes to Christian leadership, we have to do this. We, there's praise, thanksgiving, and grateful joy. That's first. That's first and primary. Okay, the next line. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. She is saying that she, she knows what role she's about to play. She's giving voice to everyone else who's going to come after her in salvific history. That... People will find God's mercy because she is saying yes to being the mother of the Messiah. So she is referencing everyone who's going to come after her. Our leadership is going to make an impact. We know that what we do is not just going to affect us and the people living here today, but hopefully that they will bear fruit even generation to generation. Our children, our children's children, not even just our natural children, like a lot of us in this room are going to be natural parents, but spiritual parenthood that a lot of us are going to have too. Hopefully hundreds of spiritual children are going to come to the mercy of God through our yes, right? So that's another part of Marian leadership. So the next line, he has brought down the mighty from their th thrones and lifted up the lowly. So the whole Magnificat, this is obviously just a summary of the Magnificat, but in the other parts of it, she is referencing the mighty, the proud and the rich. Those are the ones who are cast down, who are lifted up. In the Magnificat, it's the poor, the hungry, the lowly, and the humble. That's who's being lifted up. So in our leadership, I firmly, firmly believe that the higher up in leadership that we are, the lower and lower and lower we have to go. The lower and lower and lower we have to go. Look at who Mary was. Look at who Mary was. She calls herself the lowly handmaiden. But who did she become? In her lowliness, she became the queen of heaven, all saints, the apostles, patriarchs, prophets, queen of families, and the queen of peace. That was all just from her littleness and her lowliness and her total conformity to the will of God. Total conformity to the will of God. I do not know where this reference I'm about to say comes from. I'm, I've been searching for it for a long time, but I heard that Mary's will was so united and even, I would say, indiscernible from the will of the Father that if no one else had been on Calvary to nail Jesus on the cross, she would have done it herself. I know, I've been trying to find it for months, actually. So if you know where it comes from, please tell me. But think about that. 
Think about the total conformity of her heart to the heart of the Father. Her lowliness, her littleness is where she gets her royalty. And that's who we are. That's who we're called to be. And she didn't reach for it. She didn't strive. She didn't grasp. She just was given it in her littleness. She was given it. We don't have to reach or try very hard for, for this role. That's, a, that's kind of a Marian leadership, a little summary on Marian leadership. But of course, I, our number one leader that has ever walked this earth is Jesus Christ, right? Christ the Good Shepherd. There's so many references in, in Scripture of Jesus being a good shepherd. What are some that we think of? Can we think of any images in Scripture or specific psalms, maybe, that, that reference Christ the Good Shepherd? Anyone? The 99 sheep and, and he went to went after the one. Now that's think about it from like a business perspective. That's a bad business model. Right? To go after the one sheep. And uh, I actually know um, I have a coworker whose grandfather used to like be a shepherd. They don't do that. Real shepherds don't do that. That's not like common, you know, shepherd culture. They don't go after the one. It's they don't need to. You got the 99, right? So the thought that God really does go after the one and the thought that each of us is the one. Each of us is the one that he goes after. This image of Christ having the lamb around his neck. Have you ever heard this story before that uh, shepherds, sometimes you get like a sheep who likes to like go off and drift off and he's really silly and, and actually lambs are pretty dumb. There's a, lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of funny videos on the internet about dumb lambs. The shepherd, the shepherd would break the leg of this, this runaway little lamb, break the leg of it, and put it around his shoulders. Think about the proximity of that dumb lamb to the shepherd in their brokenness. That's who Jesus is. Jesus has us around his shoulders when we have our little leg broken, even if he has to break it to, to protect us and to keep us close to him. Because sometimes we're running around. Actually, I'm thinking right now of this sheep video of it, it like jumped into a ditch. It like literally like head first. Have you seen that video? Into a ditch and then they did all this effort to get it out of the ditch and he's like, yay, I'm free. And then it goes back into the ditch, like head first into the ditch. Anyway. Uh, oh, any other references that you can think of, by the way? Shepherd references in, in scriptures? Psalm 23. Psalm 23. I wish I had a prize for you. I would throw it to you. <laughs> Let's break it down a little bit. The Lord is my shepherd. That's, we got that, right? We don't need to talk about it. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Okay, God is like the God of restoration. He's the God of peace. He's the Prince of Peace. He's never going to leave us wanting, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There's, there's too much text to like really put on one's life. He will never leave us wanting. He will never leave us wanting. He's the God of restoration. He's the God of, whole, God of wholeness and healing and comfort. The next line. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. He's a God of protection. He's going to be around us, in front of us, behind us, on the side of us, with us. He wants to do everything with you. You know, John Paul II, in the biography written by George Weigel, A Witness to Hope. I don't know if anyone's read that book. But the young adults who, well, at the time it was uh, Father Carol Matua, the people, the young adults that he walked with, they, you know how they spoke of him? They said, he was with us in all things except sin. He was with us in all things except sin. That's a shepherd. That's what a shepherd is. Even in his papacy, he made time for his young adults. 
once a year or something like that. The, the young adults that he went hiking with whenever he was a young priest, in his papacy, he still walked with them all through his life. They, they were priority to him. I have this priest, the one I talked about in my first talk, Father Simley, even though I've known him since I was 18, year old, 18 years old, and he's walked with me as a spiritual father through so many different job changes and phases of life, moving to California and all of that. And of all the places that I could move to, he actually does retreats for the Carmelite Sisters in Los Angeles twice a year or so. So I see him, I get to see him whenever he comes in town. And uh, recently I, he, he was at a retreat in October there that I went to. He was following up with me, asking me how it was after the retreat. And I, I wanted to talk to him while I had this drive up to the Bay Area for my mom's birthday. Um, so that's like a six hour drive from LA. And I said, I have six hours, and if you have an hour in there or two that we can chat, I'd love to catch up and tell you about the fruits of the retreat. He had a very busy day, but he made time for me. He, he gave me an hour. Before we got off the phone, this was, and this made me cry. A lot of things made me cry, but this made me cry. He said, um, Krista, even though I had a busy day and I could only talk to you for an hour, just know that it's always a joy, never a burden. Always a joy, never a burden. And what a beautiful thing for your father to tell you. You're always a joy, never a burden. He's with you. He's with you. That's a shepherd. He's with you. The next line. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Again, I've said it a couple of times already. God's going to complete the good things he started in you. He is a God of promises and fulfilling promises. All it takes is our docility to that. Because he's not going to force himself on you. Right? He's not going to force his will on your life. You still have free will. Right? But... He only wants goodness and mercy for you. That's, that's who he is. He's a God of goodness and mercy. He's not like a cop in the sky writing tickets for you every time you sin. Right? He's not a helicopter God who cares about all these like little, little things that you know are so important to us sometimes. And we think, like, oh, I need to make exactly the right step or I'm going to mess up and I have to make the right choice. And what about my vocation? And we just get stuck in these ruminating thoughts. That's not who he is. He's a good God. He's unchanging. We're the unfaithful ones. Who was Jesus? What did, what did he do? He came to seek and save the lost. So in our leadership, if that's who Jesus was, and we're meant to emulate him, he was the ultimate leader, who did he reach out to? The lost. The one. Right? And he gave them comfort and he was mercy to them. That presence who Jesus is, that's who he's asking us to be. Right? And it could be kind of a daunting thing to think about. Like, okay, but, but he was God and he was perfect. Right? And again, going back to the first talk of like identity, that he restores, that he forgives, that he gives us resurrections for the things that we die to, the things that feel like are never going to end, right? But he, we have to look at ourselves in reference to heaven, the heavenly banquet, heavenly places. That's where we're seated. Yes, heaven is like when we die, but we're this, we can live heaven here and now, right? Like the Acts of the Apostles. Think of the Acts of the Apostles. Every person who sought healing in the Gospels got it. Before their moral conversions, Jesus healed all. And then what did he say? Go, your sins are forgiven. He doesn't just want our physical healing. He does. He's a God of wholeness. He wants our conformity to him. He wants our perfection. 
Not, and not in a perfectionistic way, by the way, because I have struggled with that in the past. Remember we talked about scrupulosity, having too much contrition where we think everything's a sin and we're just trying to follow the rules, right? It's not a perfectionistic way, right, of, of operating or living the gospel. But rather, it's conformity to the one who is perfect, the one who is all love, who is all good, all beauty. So he came to seek and save the lost. And where did he go to do that? He went to the periphery. Those who were outsiders, those who no one else wanted to talk to, the lepers, the tax collectors. In our leadership, we have to know it's not just the people who are going to come to youth leadership forums that we need to reach. Yes, it's important for us to have community and be here. We talked about uh, holy friendships, holy complementarity, finding people in uh, the same part of the heart of the Father who are going to live out a mission with you. But evangelization and evangelism happens out there. It, it requires us to come out of ourselves and go out and find and seek and be there for those people in like magnanimous ways sometimes, but also sometimes in ordinary ways. Sometimes in ordinary ways, like when you start to like really step into your charisms, which are gifts from the Holy Spirit for the upbuilding of the church, when you start to tap into that, and allow the Holy Spirit to work. I mean, you could do God's work in a grocery store, in parking lots, at your school, in your youth group, of course. You don't have no idea. God can use you literally anywhere when you're open to him, when you're open to him like that. So one of my charisms that I've kind of been testing and seeing is hospitality. And that's kind of specifically in the home people coming to your home and being a part of, yeah, whatever. For me, it's parties. Honestly, I like having parties. And I've had people tell me, like, your parties are healing. What a weird sentence. This is a party. We're just singing karaoke. But I've had friends tell me, like, your parties are healing because you offer a place for us to truly be ourselves. And that's, that's kind of, for me, really important that people do feel at home in my home. So I live in California now, all of my friends are in Louisiana, they come visit, and they're, they're like, I'm excited to experience your hospitality. Like it's different when you just come to my house because you live down the road, and you come to my house because I live 2,000 miles away. So they get to come stay in my house, they get to let me feed them, and, and, and be with them, and really just see who they are and where they're at right now. Yes, of course I want wholeness and healing for them, but also, just like Jesus at the well, meeting the woman at the well, you meet people where they're at right now. And that's, that's a healing experience for people. So go on the periphery. Don't be afraid of where God is calling you to. Also know that in scripture, what did Jesus do? He would perform all these miracles, and then he would retreat to a secret place, like the mountain, and he would pray. So when I was working at Louisiana Rights Life, I was very much a public speaker. I would give 50 to 75 talks per year, and it was exhausting. It was saying I got to a point, especially um, the story that I told you um, earlier about my, my sibling who died by abortion. That was something I was still unpacking. It was a fresh wound. It was painful. And I, I, the way I kind of compared it is, at the, like imagine like your sibling dying in a car wreck from drunk driving, and then you're giving presentations 50 to 70 times a year about drunk driving. It's kind of like traumatizing, no? So that's what I was doing for three and a half years and I was exhausted and I was crying all the time and at some point anymore I wasn't joyful. 
I remember after some healing retreats that I went to, I finally started laughing again, and my best friend, uh, Jenna, she, she mentioned it. She was like, this is the first time I've heard you laugh in like nine months. And I was like, wow, this is, yeah, I don't laugh anymore. I was really in a, in a hard place. So what did I do? I, I had to leave that job. I had to stop doing that. And I needed a time to, to be in the mountain. Like, not that I was performing miracles, by the way, with those talks, but I did need a retreat, in a sense, from that. And so sometimes there's a time to speak, and there's a time to act, and there's a time to serve. But guess what? We're not Jesus. We're not, like, unlimited in our resources. We're human, and sometimes we need to know when we need to say no. We, we can turn down talks, right? I turned down the talk last month to go on that retreat. And it's important for us to know where we're at currently, and that takes a lot of emotional intelligence. It takes a lot of uh, self-awareness, and not just self-awareness like being able to point out all your flaws, like confident self-awareness. Like, this is who I am right now, and that's okay. Like, I can't, I can't fly to Pittsburgh to give a talk right now. I'm just, I'm exhausted. I need to go on a retreat. I need to be with my spiritual father. I need to rest. I need to receive first, because out of the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's a song, but I don't remember which one. So whatever our heart is full with, that's what we're giving with our, with our action, with our words, with our lives. So it's important for us to be filled and let our cup be filled by the Father, by the shepherd, the good shepherd. First, know when it's time to speak, know when it's time to, to retreat and go to that secret place where only you and the creator are. It's important for you to be able to do that, that internal life. This is a leadership retreat, right? So these are, you are people who are, like in this quote, the lay teachers of the faith. Pope Francis says, you are the one who primarily carry out the task of spreading the good news of the gospel and in the language and customs of the people you serve. We have some international people here. I don't know what Canadian culture is like. I hear you're just friendly. Um, syrup, I don't know. Egg. Actually, I forgot just now until right now that my uh, former director of the Newman Center was from Canada. So every once in a while, every once in a while, she's every once in a while she'll say something like, I think the way she says "bag" is weird. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about that because we're, most of us are Polish Canadians. So. Oh, are Polish Canadians not nice? I mean, that's <laughs> I'm just saying. So So whenever I, I like this quote because in the language and the customs of the people they serve, it's not just like an international thing, right? So we're citizens of different places, right? But I think it's like a, kind of a little bit of a cultural thing. So for me personally, I have like a language of, of performing arts, okay? Nathan yesterday spoke a lot about language of like athleticism and, you know, I don't do any of the things that you do, okay? Uh, being a ranger, these are languages, yeah, I don't know. Um, my, the deacon at our parish uh, was a CPA, so oftentimes he talks in numbers that are like, I mean, it's just, and I tell him all the time, I'm like, good with the words and the feelings, but not the numbers. Like, don't make me look at my spreadsheet, please. And he's like, Excel is a perfect program. And I'm like, what does that even mean? When you're serving in the ways that you serve, there's language that you have that other people don't have, and it's important for you to be able to use that. I was talking to a brother yesterday about kind of being in the world, in a sense, and it's like being like an undercover religious person in the world and being able to like reference Taylor Swift and Marvel and these things. Like I, I see God in all of that, by the way. There is God and beauty in everything. And um, so I work at a Newman Center and I work with college students and young adults and one of the campuses we serve is Caltech. 
I don't know if y'all heard about Caltech. I didn't know it was a big deal. Apparently it's a big deal. It's a very smart university. Um, I often find myself surrounded by these people and I, I've like cried to friends like, I'm just not smart. I can't keep up with these people. I'm not qualified for my job. Like, should I go back and get another master's in theology? Like, I just want to be able to keep up with them. And, you know, I have to have friends, I was telling this table earlier, that sometimes when you hear those lies in your head, you need to speak to people who, you, who love you and who you love, who can speak truth into your life, right? So those times that I feel inadequate and have a little chip on my shoulder about my, you know, not super sophisticated theology, very childlike theology, that someone can speak truth into your life and, 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 and love you. Why did I bring this up? I actually can't remember right now. Oh, yeah. So they have a certain language that I can't necessarily keep up with, but it's fun to watch them see um, the way that God speaks to them. And I went to one of their Bible studies one time, very intellectual. Um, they talk about things that I don't know how to um, talk about. But one of them said, I was talking about my own experience, which was very different than theirs, because I'm an artist, and that's kind of the way that I talk about things. And uh, one of them said, that sounds like exhausting, like to be inspired all the time, and like uh, to see God in like nature, and to see God in music. Like she said, that sounds like it would take a lot of energy for me to do that, like to just be inspired. And I spoke to her, and I said, okay, what are you studying? I forgot what she was studying. She was studying something scientific. And I said, you can find God there. Like, God's there. You don't need it. I love people. I study psychology. I find, I find the creator through his creation. So every single one of you have a part of the Father, the heart of the Father that nobody else has. And to me, it's like a treasure hunt to try and find that in each person that I get to know. And I love seeking that in that person and, and seeing the way that they shine and seeing the little gold in their hearts. That's not exhausting to me because that's what fascinates me. But I told her, this Caltech student, whatever you're studying, you're going to find God there. You don't need to find it in poetry and nature or whatever. You're going to find it what fascinates you because God is in all things. And she started crying. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. Well, I said something that made sense for you. Yay! Because <laughs> you all are Caltechers and you're so genius and I am not like that. But, you know, you don't know how God's using you today. You don't know how God's using you in your witness and in your voice. So it's important for us to just always be open and to, you know, use the language of the people that you're, that you're around. Right? That doesn't just mean being Canadian. It doesn't just mean being American or a Filipino or Mexican. Right? Because we're all citizens of heaven. And guess what? We all have something different to give. That's, that's the best part. That's the best part, is that we all have something different to give. It's in the gospel. Oh, it's in Ephesians. That's in St. Paul, sorry. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And he gave some as apostles, others as prophets, others as evangelists, others as pastors and teachers, to equip the holy ones for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, living the truth in love. We should grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, with the proper functioning of each part, brings about the body's growth and builds itself up in love. So we're all a different part of the body of Christ. And we have to see that unity and the sameness about us is that we are all chosen by a beloved God, who you are his beloved, you are the apple of his eye. And guess what, so is the guy next to you. So is that guy. And even when, to me, even when we have a problem with someone else in the body of Christ, which is gonna happen, because guess what, none of us are perfect. 
We're going to have a problem with each other. St. Paul had a problem with Barnabas. All right? They had a, a big disagreement. They separated. They ended up not doing the same thing, but then they came together later. It's okay. It's hard. To, we don't get along with everybody. There are, are some people who it's harder to get along with, and that person is still a gift from the heart of the Father. That's hard. Trust me, that's hard. It's easy to say, oh, that person's a hypocrite. This is the way that they need to be. No, don't try to pick, uh, pick out the speck in your neighbor's eye when you have a beam in your own eye, right, from Matthew. We're all here for different gifts. Some of us are the pinky finger of Christ. Some of us are the pinky toe of Christ, okay? Who wants to be a toe? Nobody, but at least we're part of the body of Christ, okay? Christ is the head, and we need to build up the body of Christ. The harvest is abundant, but the laborers are few. It's, it's time for us to really embrace the body of Christ because evangelization is not optional for Christians. It's not optional for disciples. We need to step it up because there are people who have never heard the gospel. And sometimes the gospel isn't what you say. It's not this talk that I'm giving. right? Jesus had three years of public ministry and 30 years of a hidden life. And that was very much still his ministry. And so this stuff that I get to do, oh yeah, it's so cool, but what's my ministry? It's back home. It's my family. It's my community. It's my colleagues. That's my ministry. Yeah, this is cool because I get to do it and whatever. Scorbella, speaker, actor, as an artist. But who I am as a person is my ministry. And you need to embrace that in your daily life. Daily life. Live the truth in love. That's Christian leadership. So our citizenship, as I said, this is the sameness that we have. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we also await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That, he is all of our Savior. He is all of our Shepherd. He is all of our Father. He is all of our Lord. And at the same time, he is my Lord. So it's not this like blanket thing of like, oh, Jesus loves all of us. Blanket, everyone. I mean, it kind of is. It's a very individual thing. So one thing that I have been reflecting on as a Filipino-American, so my Filipino culture is very interdependent. What does that mean? It means people don't move out of their family's house until they get married. All right? So they live together many generations in one household. Okay, but what, what's the American culture? Okay, get out of here at 18. <laughs> I moved out after college, so I moved out at 22, so I'm somewhere in between. And I, I've been struggling with that. As I told you earlier in my first talk, in Louisiana, it feels like a, I'm like a one person. In California, I feel like a different person. And so I'm trying to like bridge these two different kind of things in my own life. It kind of feels like nationalities, right? Like this is what I, it feels like to be a Cajun person. This is what it feels like to be a Filipino person. But whenever you kind of find the middle ground in that and see that it's, it's not just about being interdependent and seeing the body of Christ as a whole working unit, which is true, but it's also about seeing yourself as an individual and as a beloved and a chosen and his the one. You are his the one. And guess what? He's your the one too. A lot of people talk about soulmates and like, what if Christo, what's the perfect man look like? It's Jesus Christ. He's the perfect man. He's all of our perfect person. And we are called to be conformed to him. Be an individual but a part of a group. It's like you have to be able to have space for both of that. So leadership is kind of both. Because we need all, yeah. That's all that I was gonna say, is that we need all and we're all different. This is an analogy that I love. Um, I'm a musician, I play a few instruments. My priest told me this. He said, Crystal, look, 
you love Catholic social teaching, you love justice, you work for these, you have these activism as efforts. But just because you do that, and he teaches moral theology at a seminary. He's like, just because I teach moral theology and you are an activist, doesn't mean we don't both love the Eucharist. Right? So there's there's harmony, musical harmony and differences. What does harmony mean? Music theory. We can talk about the circle of fifths later. But harmony is what? You're playing a bunch of different notes that what ultimately sound beautiful together. And the kind of beautiful thing about God's entire orchestration of creation is that sin entered the world like a wrong note. But he didn't correct and he didn't say, oh, start over, play their note correctly. What did he do? He gave us his son. So the wrong note of sin entered the world and then he gave us his son and that became a new orchestration. In the Easter... Um, what is it called? Oh my gosh, what is it called? Exultant. Yeah, exultant. Okay, the deacon sings sometimes poorly. But yes. he says, he says, Oh happy fault that gained for us so great a redeemer. Oh happy fault that gained for us so great a redeemer. Even in all the sin and brokenness and the chaos of all of salvific history, God chose not to correct the wrong note, but to give us a new song. And that song is Jesus Christ. And our leadership has to come from that, that relationship, and that, that belovedness, that childness. And all of that, all of us together, are going to create a beautiful harmony. What do I have for you? What does love demand? Reflection questions. How can you give the Lord your own fiat? Fiat is Mary's big yes that we talked about earlier. You feel free to look at Luke 1. I think it was a 20-something to something. It's on the internet. I'm sure all of you have smartphones. So look up Mary's fiat. Feel free to create your own fiat from the Psalms. How can you give the Lord your own fiat? Ask Jesus to reveal to you how he wants to be your shepherd. How can you seek and save the lost? What peripheries is God calling you to? Right? Because kind of where God's will meets your passion, that's like where you can save the most souls. God's will, your passion, that's, that's your little target audience. What gifts do you think the Lord is asking you to offer for the building of the church? Those gifts can change, by the way, over time. Don't be afraid to see kind of the power in the gifts that you've been given, especially from the Holy Spirit, which are specifically for the upbuilding of the church. So feel free to take a picture of this, write it down in a moment. I'm going to just pray over you if that's okay. And I'd be happy to pray with you one-on-one -on -one as well, if anyone needs physical or internal healing. That's what I'm learning about in the history school, so I'd be happy to pray for you. Well, thank y'all for listening.